0: What a finish from Balogun! Oh Beniera, beautifully done! Baby surely surely, Here it is! And now! Wonderful! Got to be a Lovely finish! That's the go goal!
1: Hello and welcome to 2024 and Le Beaujeu, the first episode of the official Ligue 1 Uber Eats podcast in English for the new year. I hope each and every one of our listeners enjoyed a fantastic festive period and rung in the new year in entirely spectacular, certainly a little unreasonable yet safe manner. Most importantly, I hope you've all recharged the batteries for what promises to be A gripping, thrilling second half of the 2023-24 season for French football, both at home and on the continent. Coming up in this bumper episode, we're going to look back at the first half of the campaign, the surprises, the standout performances, and perhaps the disappointments. We're going to check in on our pre-season predictions to see if any of them have come true and uh, perhaps give those present a, a little luxury of being present on the first podcast of the new year, perhaps to change a prediction or two. Um, That should create a little bit of tension with the other guests we normally get on the podcast as well. We're all for that. 2024 is just a few days old, but we've already had the Trophée des Champions, a first trophy of the season. The Coupe de France is back as well, and we've got all your regular favorite segments as well as a whole lot more. To help me do all of that and more, me, Robbie Thompson. To get through it all, I'm delighted to say we're joined by our undercover Frenchman in London, England, Baptiste Renault from Le Classic Pod. Baptiste, bonne année. What has been your highlight of the uh, holiday period so far?
2: Bonne année, Roby. Bon année, everyone. It's been the same as everyone's, really. Family time, overeating, indulgence, but also from a footballing front enjoying John Texter, proceeding to transfers between John Texter and John Texter over the last few weeks. That's always a fun, <laughs> fun sight to see.
1: Fantastic. Are the New Year's revolutions because you save time with family and eating too much? Are you, are you on the, uh, I mean, you're a little bit younger, but everyone I know of my age is on a, a no carbs diet now for January, let alone a dry January. The, the alcohol's gone for most. I haven't I haven't taken that drastic action yet, but certainly happy to try and cut down on a little bit of the carbs.
2: That hasn't, That hasn't come across my way. That hasn't come across... <laughs>
1: I think it's a bit harder, perhaps, for a Frenchman to stop eating bread, like, an, like asking an Italian uh, to stop yeah. eating pasta. It's, it's not easy. Or a Scotsman <laughs> to stop drinking beer. Andy Scott, Ligand commentator and AFP journalist. Um, we've managed to get Andy onto the pod before he jets out to the Africa Cup of Nations. Happy New Year, Andy. And uh, what is the first thing you pack when you know you're heading off every two years to the Africa Cup of Nations?
0: Happy New Year, Robert. Yes, great to be back on the show. Um, well, the African Cup of Nations, what do you take with you? Well, you need a lot of things to take with you, but uh, one thing I would recommend is is, uh, is, a, is a travel kettle. Don't laugh at me, but it's always good. If you're going to be in a hotel room for a month, it doesn't have a kettle, and you won't have a cup of tea when you get home at night. So that's what I'll be packing later on when I, when I prepare my suitcase. Tomorrow I'm going to Abidjan um, for one month, and it will be warmer than it is in France because it's got very, very cold here.
1: I assume that means that you have a, a cast iron Scottish constitution, Andy, because my trips to the Africa Cup of Nations, I can tell you after the first one, Egypt in 2006, the first thing that was going into my suitcase and taking up half of the space was a medical kit to to, yeah. to settle an upset stomach. Yeah. Um, I would take absolutely anything to not relive my first Africa Cup of Nations experience, which was quite literally. Egypt, fantastic place, loved it. It was a remarkable tournament and was such an eye-opener for me. And I would do it again in a heartbeat, but I swear I was going to die. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I hope I hope that's not going to be the case for me, but I've heard very good things about Ivorian cuisine. There are quite a few Ivorian restaurants dotted around Paris, which I've not been lucky enough to sample yet, but I'm lo- I'm looking forward to sampling the food uh, When I get out there, amongst many other things, I'm looking forward to sampling the local culture and and, and all the rest of it. And, of course, watch some soccer.
1: Well, that's the thing. That's the beauty of the round ball game, isn't it? It brings everyone together. It allows us, the fans, the journalists, the people that cover the game, but also the people that love the game, to travel to new places. brings peoples together. It is a, a remarkable sport. That's part of the reason why we all love it. If you love it too, get involved in the conversation on Twitter or X at league One underscore E-N-G. Like, subscribe, and recommend this podcast, of course, on all your available podcast platforms. And don't forget the official LeagueAunt.com website as well for all the latest news about the league. Well, we left you midway through December. There were still a couple of matches left to play. We are going to have a little look back at the midway point of the season. But since then, it does seem like an age since we last spoke to you on Le Beaujeu. We had the Trophée des Champions last week. Uh, It's normally the season curtain raiser between the champions and the Coupe de France winners. Uh, This season, it was always going to be Paris Saint-Germain, the champions, and Toulouse, the cup winners. It was meant to be played. In Southeast Asia at the start of the season The plug was pulled on that for logistical reasons we, It was rescheduled for this little hiatus In between the midway point of the season Over the Christmas break And Andy Scott, you were there at the uh, Parc des Princes Or at least commentating it I was up early watching, listening to your your dulcet tones
0: Bradley Barcola to Vitinha He spotted the run beat made by Dembele on the right-hand side Dembele's first-time ball into the middle Turned into the net by Lee Kang in it's a great start to the game for Paris Saint-Germain, they're in front inside three minutes here PSG yes, fans hopeful we seen their team claim another piece of silverware at the end of the night but not there yet they've dominated the first half but have got just the one goal to show for it, Barcola to Mbappe Mbappe still going, Mbappe's shot it's a stunning goal yet another one from Kylian Mbappe and PSG double their lead just before the break. That could be a killer blow for Toulouse. And it's all helped the reigning French champions win their first silverware of this season. Once again, they've won the Trophée des Champions for the 10th time in the last 11 editions. PSG have claimed this particular trophy usually the curtain raiser to the french season this time the first game of the new year midway through the campaign they've seen off the challenge of the coupe de france holders Toulouse with a 2-0 win here at the Parc of tonight Lee Canyon and Kylian Mbappe with the goals in the first half another trophy for Paris Saint-Germain
1: in the end, a fairly straightforward 2-0 victory. A couple of good saves from Donnarumma, but Paris Saint-Germain, making sure the hierarchy was was respected there in that one. A 2-0 victory, a first trophy for Luis Enrique as well.
0: Yeah, no, no great surprise. Of course, the fact that PSG were playing at home. and I mean, I know that Toulouse had more tickets than they would otherwise get for a game at the Parc des Princes, and the atmosphere was different because the, the PSG Ultras, who, who generate the atmosphere at the Otoy end of the Parc des Princes, boycotted the game. For reasons related they weren't happy with the ticket prices was the reason why they were not there but PSG were at home that's the reality they're very difficult to beat at home and when you get an early goal it becomes even harder I mean Toulouse actually didn't play that badly I think that's been a theme for them this season they do actually play quite well they just don't win games they had that chance when Ty Stalinga hit the post, didn't they, when they were 1-0 down and things might have turned out differently. And in the end, they didn't pull it back to, to 1-1 and then they conceded a second goal. And that was that was good night. I mean, I think from a Toulouse point of view, this game was always a bonus for them. They won the cup last season. We've gone in circles about whether that was their first trophy or they'd won it before in 1957 when it was a different iteration of the club. But nevertheless, the first Toulouse team to win a, a major trophy in what, 65, 66 years so that's all that mattered for them. And this season, it's all about staying up. And, and they've got that Europa League Tigers, Benfica to look forward to. So, so this game didn't really matter for them. For PSG, it was more important because, of course, they want to win every piece of silverware going. And they got off to a good start to the year, very comfortable. And they move on to the next challenge.
1: Baptiste, we saw goals from Kang in Lee very early on. A nice little finish, but a well-worked goal. And, but how about Kylian Mbappe's finish? There's so much talk about his future as there always is going to be. He's officially a free agent or can sign as a free agent now for for six months' time. Um, That's got a lot of tongues wagging as well. What have you made of uh, that performance,
2: Baptiste? I think we saw their usual weaknesses, you know, set pieces and defensive concentration being amongst them. But good to see Donnarumma back in form, really, because he's been a bit of a letdown compared to the hype that was following when he arrived after the Euros and he was fantastic and he's been weak. Playing the ball at his feet, and he hasn't been the most reassuring. So it was good to see him start uh, 2024, you know, with a bang, really. And and they looked, they looked comfortable.
1: Yeah, it is uh, important that Gijo Donnarumma plays well. Certainly, the errors we've seen from him. I mean, there's still Kalor Navas there. We saw him play actually uh, last night in the Coupe de France match against the sixth division amateurs. We're going to get to that in a moment. But just looking ahead, we know they've been drawn against Real Sociedad uh Baptiste in the next round that perhaps gives them with all due respect they were fantastic in the group stage Real Sociedad pipping into Milan to top spot in their section but does that give Paris Saint-Germain a little bit of leeway I mean Donnarumma has to improve it's been a difficult European campaign for him as well but the whole squad does Luis Enrique says that's going to happen though
2: yeah I think the whole squad does need to improve really I mean in the Champions League they weren't really highly convincing um, they obviously faced some really good sides. I think Sociedad have got a good dynamic behind them and they're certainly not going to go in there with a losing mentality. They've been they've been very impressive. I think defensive weakness remains there for, for PSG. They don't have a lot of cover. Obviously, we'll talk about Beraldo coming in, but he's, he's raw and he's not going to have a lot of games to get himself ready. And Marquinhos is basically the only one who's there fit and firing, really. So... On paper, they're obviously the better side. I think there have been definite improvements under Luis Enrique, certainly in midfield. I think they've got real dynamism there with that midfield three. And obviously when you've got Dembele and Mbappe on fire, they're hard to stop. But they haven't been wholly convincing to me this season, especially defensively, despite the fact they've only conceded 14 in the league. So it sounds a bit crazy, but they just haven't really been dominant Um, after an exciting first few weeks for me. <laughs> Well, normally
1: the first week of January is reserved for all the excitement building about the clash of worlds, the professional world and the amateur world in the round of 64 of the Coupe de France. Perhaps a little bit of that thunder was stolen by the Trophée des Champions, but Andy, the Coupe de France was back. It is a fantastic tournament. It's a fantastic cup competition in France. I mean, I mentioned it, I think, last year on the pod at this time, but I went through how many participating teams there are in all the other national cup competitions in the world. And and France just blows them all out of the water. This is literally the cup competition where every single club in the country takes part in. I mean, that it it speaks a lot about France, I think, as a a country as well, and the ethos of the country. But when you've got nearly 8,000 teams taking part in a cup competition, and you get down to the round of 64, and you can have a U.S. Ravel from the 6th Division. With I was listening to Andreas's commentary this morning between an IT uh, expert, a Boilermaker, someone that stopped being a bus driver so that he could still get to training twice a week to play for his team, taking on Kylian Mbappe. I mean, it's a fantastic story. It's, it's David versus Goliath, and it's not just PSG. It's, it's all over the country when this happens in the last round, in the round of 64. And there was no shortage of drama this first weekend. Andy, you had a cracker yourself.
0: Yeah, I did. Well, I think on your point about the the smaller teams competing, I think what tends to take headlines uh, abroad is the teams who come from France's overseas territories to play in the competition at this stage. And of course, there is this. I think it's a written rule where the teams coming from the overseas departments or or whatever they're called, whatever their their definition is, they have to play their games at this stage on the mainland. And so you have teams coming from Martinique or Guadeloupe in the Caribbean or possibly even from you know French Pacific Islands, coming to mainland France, coming to metropolitan France. We saw Lille winning 12 nil against Golden Lion, who'd come from the Caribbean, Lille's, uh, I think, biggest ever victory. And in France, this is not really necessarily considered to be that big a deal. I mean, the story in L'Equipe about Lille winning 12 nil against this team from the Caribbean was not about the fact that the team had come from the Caribbean, really, because this happens all the time it was all about you know the fact that that Huck and Haraldson the young kid from Iceland had got a couple of goals and so he needed to build his confidence but it's incredible the, these guys coming from from all the way over there they tend to come and spend a week and maybe train at Clairefontaine the French national team training center and the golden lion players went to watch the PSG Toulouse Trophy de Champion match and then they went up to Lille and they have to acclimatize the different weather conditions and it's basically impossible for them to make an impact whereas in PSG's case, of course, they had to go to Castres in the southwest of the country, sort of rugby territory, to play against Ravel. And I watched that game last night, and I thought that Ravel really quite good. I mean, of course, they were <laughs> torn apart in the end. But, you know, these guys were willing to take on uh, the PSG players. They were always trying pot shots from 30 or 40 yards out. <laughs> Technically, they're really not bad, you know. And I think I think it says a lot about the depth of quality in the French game. We tend to sort of think of these guys being, as you say, I don't know, IT workers or lorry drivers or whatever, but they've had real proper footballing educations. One of the Revelle players had played against Kylian Mbappe three times in youth football, um, and and so they have a proper footballing education. They're, they're really good players, even if in terms of where they are in the league system, they're really low down. You know, playing in the regional league, the regional one, as it's called in France, of sixth tier, you're a long way away from Ligue 1, but it shows you what you can do with a bit of organisation, with a bit of training on a football pitch, you can compete to a large extent with these players. And it's great to watch in the Coupe de France. I mean, in my case, I was up in Lens yesterday for the Lens-Monaco game. And that was obviously a very different experience because it was two of the heavyweight Ligue 1 clubs playing each other. It was, I have to say, it was an absolutely fantastic game of football. It was dramatic. Obviously, Monaco were 2-0 up. They were 1-0 up after 34 seconds. They were 2-0 up midway through the first half. You thought Lens might be dead and buried. They get a goal back. They have a penalty appeal. Franck Hez, the manager, is is sent off. They get the equaliser. And then, obviously, with the cup these days, in stark contrast to England, we're in the FA Cup early rounds. They still have replays. In France, we have no replays, and there's not even any extra time. It's straight to penalty shootout. So at the end of 90 minutes, 2-2 to a penalty shootout. And I don't know if any of you guys have had the chance yet to see it Monday morning here at the moment, Monday evening in Sydney, but it was a, it was a rip-roaring penalty shootout. Brie Samba made three fantastic saves in the shootout, and yet Monaco, who've been knocked out on penalties in the Cup in each of the last two seasons, who were knocked out of the Europa League on penalties last season, ended up winning, and uh, it was a huge moment because I think for Monaco, obviously, they're not in Europe this season. The Cup's important for them. They're a club with a great Cup history, but they've not won it since 1991. We've seen them in a couple of finals, losing to PSG in in, in this century, whereas in the case of Lance, I think probably you would say the league is is... Certainly, the priority. Of course, it is. But they've also got the Europa League to look forward to, and they can maybe handle going out of the cup a bit bit more. So that was a terrific tie. I think more generally, yeah, the cup is is a fantastic experience at the beginning of the year. It's just a shame that the the temperatures plunged. Well, it's what you expect in the cup. The temperatures plunged over the weekend and up in loss. It was really, really cold.
1: Exactly. It's it's when you when you have a match that's still all square in the eighty fifth minute, and your your voice is trembling. And you, when you breathe in, it hurts and all that. Yeah, I, I've been there. Baptiste, Andy mentioned Les Herbiers. They're one of the amateur sides that went all the way to the final, which is, is, is basically unheard of in any other realm of world football, really, or world sport.
2: Absolutely. And I think the French Federation has many ills, but actually its educators are top-notch across the country. And they they do get it right. And they do give a lot of power to the local leagues and and the local divisions in the structure, right? Uh, Coupe de France has a wonderful tradition of giant killing because a lot of those players who never make it to professional levels, like Andy said, have played at a high youth level, have been well coached from the ages of eight or seven when they started until 16, 17, when they realized they couldn't make it to the professional level. And that's what you see in the Coupe de France. You mentioned Calais. Les Herbiers, Kévy, you know, went to the, went mm, to the semifinals yeah. of the finals as well. We also saw, obviously, they were professional, but Gingamp, we saw them win the Coupe de France when they were in the third tier. And I think that's just that ability across the board that, with all due respect to the FA Cup, which I think is a wonderful tournament, you don't see that many upsets. And you just see, once you get to the sort of quarterfinals, we're back to the big boys, and it tends to be, you know, two big teams fighting it out in the final, and it feels a bit secondary. You don't really get that in France. And, and you see that because if I look, for example, at Marseille at the weekend who beat Thionville, Marseille have traditionally lost to small teams. And you can sense some trepidation about going away to a small team, not wanting to look foolish once again by being arrogant and and, and losing to a smaller side. And they nearly did. And they weren't convincing. And it's it's you have a lot more close contests. Of course, we'll have the 12 nils and the 9 nils that we saw at the weekend. But actually, as soon as we're within the top five divisions of French football, it's anybody can win that game on day. And I think that's quite rare, actually.
1: Yeah, well, Lorient were the only Ligue 1 side that lost to lower opposition, I think. They came unstuck 2-1 at Sochaux. But otherwise, Montpellier overcame Amiens. Strasbourg uh, were 4-0 winners. Marseille, only just, but but victorious over Thionville in the north. Rennes got a little bit of that uh, revenge back, I guess, even though it's the round of 64. Those two Gangon Cup final wins, both of them against Rennes, um, a remarkable story. That one, Lyon were too strong for Pontarlier, so perhaps they're uh, starting to get on the right track. Toulouse overcame Chambéry by three goals to nil. Reims are still going. Clermont knocked off Metz in a penalty shootout as well. Nantes went through Lille, we've mentioned, and Brest got up over Angers as well. So that's that's basically what happened in the Coupe de France. The draw for the next round for the round of 32 will be held this evening in France. So we've just missed that one, but we will keep our eyes out for that and be bringing you that on league onecom and the Twitter channel as well, LeagueOne one underscore ENG. That will have all the information about who's going through Coupe de France is definitely one of the great moments, great competitions in French football, and we'll be following it very closely for the rest of this season. Well, it has been a while since we have spoken Ligue 1. It's been a while since we've had a match in Ligue 1, but they're coming up in a week's time now, and there are plenty of talking points from the first half of the season. Paris Saint-Germain, it took them a while to get to the top 12 rounds before they managed to uh, take top spot but Luis Enrique's side are now five points clear. Kylian Mbappe has been in outstanding form with 18 goals in his first half of the season. He is the top scorer as we mentioned last time. Usman Dembele is there as well. He sits atop the assist chart but they can't afford to take their eye off the ball. OGC Nice have probably been the surprise packet or perhaps Stade Brestois might like to have a little word to say about that as well but There have been a few, shall we say, standout performances in the first half of the season. Monaco are there in third place. Lyon at the other end of the table. It took them 12 rounds. While it took 12 rounds for Paris Saint-Germain to get first place, it took Lyon 12 matches to get a win. It is the remarkable story also of the first round. Brest are right up there riding high as well. Marseille, Lens after a very slow start, are starting to hit their stride. Reims, Rennes, Strasbourg, all looking for consistency. I think one of the other highlights, perhaps, guys, of the first half of the season was a successful European campaign for most sides. Andy, in uh, very briefly, tell me about OGC Nice and what they have, they have achieved as opposed to talking about Paris Saint-Germain yeah. because we know what Paris Saint-Germain can do in their financial clout. Nice have been one of the real, I think, feel-good stories of this first half of the season.
0: Yeah, they have because they underperformed last season and then they appointed Francesco Farioli, who's only 34. He's an Italian with a really fascinating background. I think anybody who listens to this podcast regularly and follows French football regularly probably knows it by now. But of course, you know, he was a philosophy student. He didn't play the game. He ended up working with Roberto De Zerbi. Now the Brighton manager in Italy because Deserbi took an interest in something that that Farioli had written and then Farioli ended up working in Turkey at a club there. He was not somebody who was known in French footballing circles at all. He's only 34. He's come to Ligue 1 and he has got Nice well organised and he's got them, you know, they win games because they don't concede goals but it's not as if they play bad football. They play good football. They have good forward players and there's a good balance to the team really. I mean, they have, Terramofi up front, they have Gaetan Labord. they have Kefren Turam in midfield. There's no shortage of talent there, but of course their success has been built around that incredible defensive record. The last time I was on the podcast, I did say that ultimately there's going to come a time when they start dropping points because they can't keep a clean sheet in every game. It's just not possible. And the problem is, of course, that has happened a couple of times for them in December. They lost in Nantes, they lost in Luave. They did finish the year strongly by beating Lance at home, which is a very good result. But, it has been a fine season, but I think the question for Nice in the second half of the season is, for me, there's, there are five points behind PSG, the PSG's closest challengers right now. For me, that gap is not going to get narrower, it's going to expand. And I think from the point of view of the neutral looking at league, 1, the question is really, can anybody else step up and somehow challenge PSG? I don't think so. I think PSG are going to run away with the league and, and win it by a considerably bigger margin than the gap at the top now. And I think for Nice, it's about, maintaining a position in the top four. Remember, fourth place, the top four go into the Champions League next season. There has to be every chance of them getting there. And that's the aim for them. Of course, owned by Ineos, the skeptics would say do Ineos still have their eyes on the ball? Because Jim Ratcliffe, just before Christmas during the break in League 1, completed his investment in Manchester United. He's now got twenty five percent of Manchester United. By all accounts he has complete control of footballing operations, which is a curious one. And so how much are Ineos going to be focused on Nice in the January transfer window, in the summer transfer window? And these are questions to be answered. It remains to be seen what will happen there. But on the pitch, Francesco Farioli has done fabulously well. They have a good mix of youth and experience. They have good players. I just wish they could fill the stadium more often. And anybody, I think we've probably all been to the stadium in Nice. It is out of town next to an Ikea, the other side of a of a sort of mountain from the city itself. It's not the quickest place to get to from the centre of Nice. And when you're sitting on the Promenade des Anglais by the beach, you probably think, "Ah, do we need to go at the game? You know? (laughs) So that's a problem. But listen, I think that for them, as I say, it's not going to be about challenging PSG in the second half of the season. It's going to be about holding on to European place. And I think now they want at the very least get into the Europa League next season. But I think the Champions League is, is a realistic target for them, given the
1: position they're in right now. Well, you're preaching to the converted, Andy, when you talk about stadiums with uh, with a bunch of old football romantics like us who remember the Stade de Rey. And uh, for someone who worked at Paris Saint-Germain and had to travel away, Stade de Rey, along with Furiani in Bastia, was probably the toughest place you wanted to go with a big PSG puffer jacket on because the, the, the fans are very close and when you're way- making your way around and into the press box and down to, by the side of the pitch, it can be a fairly intimidating situation. Talking of uh, nice, old, rustic stadiums, Brest, they have plans for a brand new stadium because they're a, they're a club that's clearly on the move. But Baptiste, Brest are in fourth place. I mean, this is this is, if anything, a bigger achievement than Nice. Because as Andy mentioned, we know they have the backing and they have, you know they have ambition. Mm. I mean, Brest obviously have have ambition, but everything's relative. I don't think anyone could have seen this coming. It is a remarkable performance midway through the
2: season from Brest, who sit fourth, just behind Monaco and Nice. They are the surprise of the season. And you know, when you think of Brest, you probably rank them in the top three most anonymous clubs in the Liga. You know, they don't make a lot of noise. People don't really, with all due respect to them, don't really care about Brest. Whether they're they're perennial favourites for relegation, and yet they've been here for a number of years now. They do things slowly but surely, smartly. They've had a few scares, but actually it's not just the first half of this season, it's over 2023. They've had a great year. They've had 39 games, 62 points over the calendar year. I mean, that is really, really impressive form. And Eric Roy, who was discarded for a long time as a sort of football manager, football educator and somehow found his way back to Brest, to the surprise of many, you know, has delivered over the year. They've, they're obviously going to be safe this year. They play quite good football. They've got a nice mix of youngsters and veterans, and players who have often seem to just sort of be average Ligue 1 players, but playing their role really well. I'm thinking of Pierre-Lys Melou in midfield, who's bounced around a little bit, but is actually a really solid midfielder and delivering. And, you know, they've been fantastic. I mean, 4-0 just before the break. Uh, Roma del Castillo, uh, you know, running people ragged down the wings, five goals and five assists over the first half of the season. After years of sort of underachievement, in a way, and expectations of him uh, not being delivered, so they've been a real, they've been a real surprise. They've they've been fun, and you know, who wouldn't like to go to Brittany for for a weekend, watch a game. Enjoy the cold weather, the <laughs> crepe, the, the galette, galette saucisse. So it's, I'm glad, I'm glad that a club that's working diligently and smartly is getting a bit of recognition this year because we've seen a lot of clubs this year, a lot of big clubs making a lot of noise and not really delivering. And they've been the complete opposite, working within their means and, and trusting their system. And, uh, and it was great to see. Brest
1: are, of course, the club that gave us David Ginola as well. I think that's where he started out his professional career. They have a few players like that who uh, I think Bernard Lamar also played there starting out in his career when he moved to France for the first time. I think there was also Lille involved there, but I think he played there. Paul Le Guin. I'm going to take us back to our bold predictions from the start of the 2023-24 season. um, And I have them in front of me here, gentlemen. And you two have actually got away with uh, your big surprise of the season because you've gone, it will be this club, either negative or positive, perhaps. So, Andy, we've just heard from you because you said Nice are going to be one of the big surprises, either in a positive or a negative sense. I think it's been a very positive sense. So, so you've got that one right. So not too much to, uh, to chat about there. But, Baptiste, I'm going to come to you again as well because while you did say that Amin Guiri, was your uh, contender for top oh, goal God. scorer. Um, so we'll let that one go. But you did say Olympic <laughs> Lyonnais. Um, <laughs> Olympic Lyonnais. Now, you said either good or bad. You would have been surprised if they'd been very, very good. They have been very, very bad. I know it's Scant Consolation that you got your tip right, your bold prediction right, but it has been a very, very tough six months to be an Olympic Lyonnais fan.
2: It's just been utterly chaotic and... There's just been a lack of direction at the club that I think, to be fair to John Textor, he has been trying to remedy, especially with Pierre Sage coming in and bringing additional staff. Mathieu Louis-Jean has been given more powers in the sort of sporting area. So I think he's learning, but he's had to learn very fast. In a way, the reason why I said it, either good or bad, I mean, either good was because they just have undoubted talent at the club that if it if it clicks, they still have some very, very good players. But you could see the dynamic of the club as a whole had just been negative for for the last two to three years. Lots of infighting between Olas and Textor, and and uh, and Textor finally getting all powers. Lots of battles for influences within the club. Cheroux was being maligned and wasn't delivering. Laurent Blanc clearly seemed unhappy, and with all due fairness, never seemed like the right appointment in the first place. And and players just seemed to vacillate between being happy or just being part of a fragmented dressing room. So, you know, it's no real surprising, you could say. The writing was a bit on the wall. Um, Pierre Sage has come in and he has steadied the ship. It's maybe no surprise that a sort of a long-time football educator, again, coming in and being sensible and giving any, everyone a chance and having a, a calm voice in the dressing room uh, with no with no arrogance coming in might have helped. So, you know, they're training upwards. I think it's still a very fragile edifice there. I think they're just one defeat away from another crisis, really. But certainly they've looked a bit better. And, you know, they've relied mostly on set pieces and organization at the moment with the unsung hero being Jake O'Brien. I never thought I would say that. So they still have a lot to work on. But certainly you could see that Saj and his staff are trying to put in place the right pieces to make them hard to beat in the first place. And then they'll develop further. But uh, there's still a lot of work there.
1: Okay, well, looking at the title predictions from everybody, everybody said Paris Saint-Germain would win the league. They're five points clear at the top. Um, Andreas did have in brackets Lille. Now, Lille find themselves in fifth place. They've just been overtaken by Brest in the run-in to the end of the year 2023. They're in fifth place. They are 12 points behind Paris Saint-Germain. They're a point ahead of Olympic Marseille, two points ahead of Lens, their derby rivals who are in seventh place, and Luke said Wren could be an outsider for the title. Now, Wren have uh, really struggled to juggle their continental commitments uh, with Ligue 1, but they are up to 10th now at the midway point of the season, but just 19 points, so less than half what Paris Saint-Germain has. For relegation, now, I went with Clermont and Nantes. Now, Nantes are in 13th place, and Nant haven't been too bad, to be fair. Andy, you went with Nantes and Mess, who are both sitting uh, in 13th and 14th place, and certainly not out of the relegation danger zone yet, perhaps, or still capable of being sucked back into that one. JJ went with Nantes and Brest, so that's a, that's a big cross against JJ's name. He did, however, think that Laurent Blanc would be the first coach to go, and that was spot on. So fair play for that. Baptiste, you also went with Nantes and Metz, like Andy. So for the moment, you're sitting, okay, you can hold on to something. But obviously, Olympic Lyonnais have crawled out on all fours out of the relegation zone. They're in 15th place. It's Lorient and Clermont that are at the bottom. At the moment, Luke had Lorient, and that was going to be his surprise for how bad they were this season. So, fair play to Luke Entwistle, our uh, correspondent from the Côte d'Azur. He got that one spot on. He did, however, say that top scorer would be anyone except Kylian Mbappe. That's not looking like that is going to be the case. And Angus went with Clermont and Nantes as well. So, Clermont featured a lot. Clermont are rock bottom of the league. So, most of us got one of those right. For top scorer, Andy, do you remember who you said?
0: Well, obviously, I said Mbappe would win it if he was
1: still there. But yeah, I, I do remember I said uh, Pierre
0: Emerick Aubameyang, and that looked ridiculous for a long time. But actually, I don't know this for sure. but <laughs> He must be the top scoring player in Liga, apart from Mbappe. Now, I mean, if, in all competitions, he must be.
1: Well, in all competitions, I don't have that in front of me at the but moment. He, I mean, but um, in, that wasn't the question.
0: Well, he's so, been in fantastic form in all competitions. His league form, of he course, has been scoring. Yeah. Yes, so I stand by that. I mean. Uh, we only ever talk in all competitions on this podcast. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, in all competitions, I think, <laughs> might be, possibly, maybe. The it is the talk- Ligue 1
1: podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. Of course, Ob- Aubameyang had a terrible start. And, and Marseille's start was not what any of us expected because we didn't think that Marcelino would be sacked or would leave the club in September you should never be surprised that things go badly wrong at Marseille, that there's a crisis. But of course, in the cold light of day in August, we didn't expect things to unravel so quickly. And I thought that Marseille had had assembled a, a squad full of impressive attacking talent that would supply Obama Young with the goals. It took until November for him to come good. He scored quite a lot in the Europa League and that has obviously helped his statistics, but I think he must be on about 10 or 12 in all competitions. Maybe somebody, somebody around me can check that. But, He's picked up, but in the league, of course, it's not quite worked. Producer Steven is five
1: frantically in the Europa League, Andy.
0: One of the striking things about the goal-scoring charts uh, in, in Ligue 1 this season is that Kylian Mbappé, who's always top, is so far ahead of anybody else. I think the next two or three players, you'd have to add their goals together to match Mbappé's. Nobody's been remotely close to Mbappé.
1: So. In second place in the scoring charts is Wissam Ben Yedda with eight, and Angus did say that Wissam-Beneta could be the threat because we weren't sure if Kylian Mbappé was going to be at Paris Saint-Germain at the start of the season, which is why also we generally went Kylian Mbappé, but if he's not there, we'll go for a second choice. My choice was Alexandre Lacazette, who, uh, after a rocky start as well, is there on seven goals. JJ went with Gonzalo Ramos. He has three. Baptiste, as we mentioned earlier in the pod, Amin Guiri, um, just three goals so far for him. Andreas went with Eli Wai, which I thought could have been a, a fairly solid pick as well, but um, just two goals in the league so far for Eliway. He's had a, a little tougher transition, shall we say, to a new club, a bigger status perhaps, and 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 a bigger reputation as well as an as an individual. Gentlemen, I'm going to because you've so generously come on the opening pot of the year, given you a chance to change or update any of your predictions. Andy, you're clearly sticking with Young as the second highest goal scorer because you've just defended it for, it seemed like 20 minutes. (laughs) Batiste, I'm going to give you a chance to pick a second player for top scorer other than Amin Guiri. Who are you going to go with? And it can't just be Killian, so you've got to give us a... somebody but you do have the advantage of seeing who's done well so far but who do you expect really to go on with it now in the second half of the season
2: it's a tricky one yeah I think I'm obviously Benyader is there but I think I'm gonna go with Akko Adams Montpellier he's already there he's got seven goals in 17 Montpellier do try to play quite expansive football tigi Savani is in good form so I mean I've already gone with one left field selection with mean Guiri who? Who's disappointed me much like Stadlen have, but uh, so why not go with another one? I'll go with Ako Adams. It also seems like the most stable environment compared to Lacazette and maybe Aubameyang. So I'll go with him.
1: Fantastic! You're listening to Batis Reno from the Le Classic Pod, Andy Scott, the Ligue 1 commentator and AFP journalist, and myself, Robbie Thompson. Well, it seems that PSG have never seen a transfer window they didn't like, and currently, the open winter session is no exception. The day after the window opened on January 1st, the capital club swung into action, pending off competition, notably from Liverpool and Arsenal, to clinch the signature of a 20-year-old Brazilian central defensive prodigy, Lucas Baraldo, from Sao Paulo. The five-year deal, worth a reported 20 million euros, makes the youngster not only the latest in a long line of Brazilian stars to grace the Parc des Princes, but a key part of the club's future plans. How much weight is there then on this young man's shoulders? Our undercover Frenchman and all-round classicist Baptiste Reynaud
2: has more. Joel Camargo's name might not be recognizable anymore, certainly not outside his home country, but a 1970 World Cup winner unknowingly ushered in a new era in 1971 when he became the first Brazilian to play for Paris Saint-Germain. Was he a pacey, silky proponent of an old jogo bonito? Not exactly, for Joel Camargo was a centre-back. And in that sense, and despite only playing two highly forgettable games for PSG, he inaugurated a successful Brazilian defensive tradition for the Parisian club. Now, of course, PSG's history has been indelibly marked by its wonderful Brazilian creators. Rai, the great Socrates' brother and PSG's first Brazilian captain, Leonardo, Ronaldinho and Neymar spring to mind as one travels back in time and thinks of PSG's Brazilian contingent. But in more recent times, our Riverde defenders have arguably been a more successful source of talent for the club. Ricardo in the 90s, Alex, David Luiz, Maxwell, Tiago Silva and Marquinhos have all had hugely positive impacts, particularly noted for their professionalism and their ability to integrate effortlessly within the dressing room. This has been evidenced by 12 consecutive seasons now of Brazilian captaincy at the Parc des Princes, starting with Thiago Silva from 2012 and Marquinhos thereafter from 2020 onwards, the latter mentored in many ways by the former. And now, with Marquinhos in the midst of his 11th season in Paris, PSG have once again turned to Brazil for their new long-term defensive solution, this time with Lucas Beraldo, who joined this winter from Sao Paulo, for a reported 20 million euros. Despite a solid defence in Liga with only 14 goals conceded, PSG have faced a defensive crisis, with Prenel Kimpembe on the long-term injury list and unconvincing summer signing Milan Skriniar recently joining him on the treatment table. With Nuno Mendes often injured, Luis Enrique has had to turn to Lucas Hernandez at left-back, leaving Danilo Pereira as the only fit centre-back left to partner Marquinhos, with little depth at full-back too, especially with Hakimi moving to the African Cup of Nations. The Spanish manager switches from a back-three to a back-four depending on the opponent have also meant that defensive cover is needed, and PSG have been particularly conscious of how overburdened Marquinhos has been in recent years, often holding the fort on his own especially with Donnarumma's suspect form over the last 12 months and an historical lack of midfield cover, although this has been much improved this season thanks to Ugarte and Zaire Emery. And so PSG have turned to their Brazilian connection once again, hoping that a recently turned 20-year-old left footer from Sao Paulo will allow Marquinhos to move to a more natural right centre-back role whilst providing some good defensive positional sense to a back line that has often felt stretched, either due to a lack of pace in Skriniar, for example, or discipline in Kimpembe. Furthermore, Beraldo is known in Brazil for his level-headedness and maturity, often seen laughing during games as a way that he's admitted to releasing tension. And PSG have been looking for players who are professional, serious and not bling-bling, making Beraldo a seemingly perfect fit. However, whilst the assured Brazil under-20 international is an impressive and exciting prospect, he will need to hit the ground running with only four Liga games before PSG's Champions League round of 16 game against Real Sociedad. And, whilst the Brazilian centre-back has undoubted quality, his lack of experience and familiarity with his teammates will be an immediate challenge for the Sao Paulo man who has only played in 27 league games in Brazil so far. For Berardo to be successful, he will need to adapt quickly both on and off the pitch, in a new city, with a new language and a competitive and sometimes fragmented dressing room. Will he found in Marquinhos, the mentor that the PSG captain himself had in Thiago Silva? The only time will tell. But if history tells us anything, it's that PSG is a welcoming place to Brazil.
1: I remember very clearly um, when I was at PSG interviewing Marquinhos and Thiago at the same time, um, talking about the passing on of knowledge and what it takes to be a captain, because we knew that that Thiago was leaving the club and that Marky was... Uh, was emerging as this leader at the back. And Thiago had this little list of things to, to give to Marquinhos and say, here's a letter, open it when you receive the captain's armband for the first time with a whole little checklist of, of things that make a good captain um, for the capital club. And Marquinhos, I mean, I was, I was at the club when he first signed in 2013. He had braces. he just arrived from Roma. He was injured. Um, he was best friends with Lucas Moura. Um, the two young Brazilians who who just arrived at the club—they were anything but future captain material. But uh, yeah, Marquinhos has has become well Brazil captain as well. Um, a fantastic player. Andy, the Brazilian influence at, at Paris Saint-Germain—what what stands out mm-hmm. to you in in that history? And and ha- is it something that you can keep going? Is it is it does Paris Saint-Germain have a special place for for Brazilians? Do you think?
0: Honestly, I, I suspect that in Brazil, it, it, it doesn't particularly. But I think um, I think in Paris, they're very proud of their their links to Brazil, as as you know, as we've touched on, it goes back almost to the origins of PSG. And of course, the the, the really famous ones, you know, would be Rai in the in the nineties, Ronaldinho in the two thousands, and and Thiago Silva, and Marquinhos over the last decade. And it's something that they're probably quite keen to continue. I think probably there's a potentially a slightly cynical aspect to it that PSG know that if they can sign some big name. I forgot to mention Neymar. <laughs> if they can <laughs> sign some big-name Brazilians, Brazil being a massive football market, then it might help their profile in that country. Um, and so they're prospecting and looking for the next ones to sign. And Lucas Beraldo uh, was not meant to be the only one, of course, they brought in this month. They were supposed to sign Gabriel Moscardo from Corinthians as well, but he has to have an operation. They have to put that deal on hold, and, and they'll keep looking to sign more of them. Brazilians are good at football, so in a sense it makes it makes perfect sense to to look to the Brazilian market and, you know, PSG have been fond of their Brazilian connection. It's not always worked out. There have been a couple of big flops, particularly in, in the 2000s, when PSG were going through some tougher times. But in the last decade, the Brazilian connection has has worked marvelously. And, and I, I have to say, like, Thiago Silva at his best will probably always be the best defender i've ever seen live you know just an utterly tremendous footballer in terms of his reading of the game even now you see him play for chelsea uh, he's he's almost the same age as me he's he's 40 this year and and it's just incredible so you know i think they're looking at lucas Beraldo and hoping that he can perhaps go on in the long term to be a success but we shouldn't we shouldn't expect too much of him too
1: soon Well, now it's time for our authentically unhelpful French football quiz, Déjà who? where you bring your hard-earned database of French football frivolity to bear in order to figure out who I'm talking about. Now, you have the chance this week to win a Ludovic Blas Rennes jersey. That's the first one up for 2024. But in December, we had a couple of pods as well, and you had the opportunity to win a Remy Cabela LOSC jersey. So we'll be announcing the winner of that in a moment for those two questions we asked. The first question, um, the answer was, of course, Arsenal legend Thierry Henry, who is now France's under-21 coach and Olympic team coach, under-23. So he could be taking France back to Olympic glory at home at the Paris Olympics in 2024. The second answer was a far more workmanlike identity in the person of Frédéric Antonetti. The former coach of just about every Ligang club and the future coach of just about every Ligang club as well. Whoever needs a firefighter, Fred Antonetti, generally gets the call. So now for the winner of that Remy Cabella Lille jersey for December. We had an impressive number of correct answers, so please keep them coming. And just, uh, I'll mention it again after. But if you think you have the answer, league1podcast at gmail.com is where you have to send your correct answer via email. But the winner of the Remy Cabela Lil Jersey is CJ Puzzo. Now, for the record, it's not because we suspect CJ could be related to the Godfather author Mario Puzzo. Um, there have been no offers that we can't refuse. So, congratulations, CJ. Sorry if the Godfather jokes, you're getting a bit sick of them. Um, but we'll be in touch soon for you to arrange delivery of that prize. Now, time for our first deja vu question of January 2024. It could win you a Ludovic Blas Wren jersey. If you think you know the answer, League One Podcast at gmail.com is where you have to send your jersey. I hope my two guests have their thinking caps on. Who am I? I began my nomadic career in my homeland, but by the time I turned 18, I was already playing in Europe. After five seasons, I moved to France, and after a slow first season that saw me take part in the Coupe de France final, my career finally took off the next season, my second in Ligue 1. My goal-scoring feats earned me another international transfer, but in between time, Perhaps the most infamous moment of my entire career when that same goal-scoring touch deserted me. After playing out my career in four more countries, I ended my playing days back home. I still hold a number of individual records for my country's national team, for whom I was twice named Player of the Year and once Player of the Decade. Who am I? And what was the cruel moment that defines my international career? There you go. Not an easy one, quite vague, although I'm sure our listeners will be able to uh, work it out. It was a massive, massive moment that that cost his country dearly and perhaps his career a little bit also because he did disappear a little bit off the radar, but um, still had a fantastic career. and was a brilliant footballer, absolutely brilliant footballer, particularly for that second season in France. And after he retired, which was only recently, he went into a couple of other endeavours as well, which haven't quite come off so far. So there you go. There's some extra extra clues in case you're wondering if you've got it or not. If you do have it or if you just have low standards, send your answers to League one Podcast at gmail.com so you can go into the running for that Ludovic Blas Ren jersey. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the program, Andy Scott is on the move. He is heading to the African Cup of Nations tomorrow um, for that legendary tournament where there have been such legendary performances from some of Africa and League Uberit's greatest players. The likes of Roger Miller, Didier Drogba, Yaya Touré, J.J. Okocha, Riga Bert Song, Abedi Pele, Sadio Mane, to name just a few, every tournament provides another chance for some new Ligue 1 player to make their name, cement their status, or with a standout turn on Africa's biggest stage. Who will it be this time? Well, Andy Scott, our soon-to-be man in the Côte d'Ivoire, has more.
0: A total of 58 players based in Ligue 1 have been called up for the Africa Cup of Nations, plus a significant number from Ligue 2 on top of that. Um, Yesterday I was in Lens for a cracking Coupe de France tie between Lens and Monaco, two of the heavyweight teams in Ligue 1, both of whom have been decimated really by call-ups for the AFCON as well as the Asian Cup, and even some of the top players who are going to Ivory Coast and who play in other leagues, used to play in Ligue 1 or Ligue 2, the likes of Victor Ozimhen, who's just been named African Footballer of the Year for last year, Uh, the Napoli striker with Nigeria, of course, formerly at Lille, there's Riyad Mahrez, once of Luav, there's Siko Fofana with the hosts, formerly of Lens, there's Sadio Mane even, and Yves Bissouma of Tottenham Hotspur and Mali, now playing in England, but formerly with Lille, and even Cyril Ghirassi tearing up the German Bundesliga this season, going to the AFCON with Guinea, now with Stuttgart, but used to be at Rennes, of course. Uh, That extends to the benches. There are plenty managers who are French or who've played in France or managed in France in the past, including Jean-Louis Gasset, the former Saint-Etienne coach, the former faithful assistant to Laurent Blanc, and who is now the manager of the host nation, and a lot of pressure will be on him at uh, the tournament. Back to the players... And The big star is, of course, Ashraf Hakimi, who was the runner-up to Ozimhen in the running for the uh, CAF African Footballer of the Year Award handed out last month. He's been having an outstanding season at Paris Saint-Germain, where his connection with Ousmane Dembele down the right wing has really been the driving force in Luis Enrique's team. Hakimi, who was born in Spain and also featured in every game on Morocco's uh, historic run to the World Cup semi-finals in 2022, where they lost to France, of course, in the last four. That was the best ever performance by an African nation at a World Cup. And that raises questions about Morocco in general, about whether they can, off the back of that, build on it and go on a long run at the AFCON. But they've uh, only ever won the AFCON once before. That was in 1976, and so it's it's becoming a bit of a monkey on their, on their backs, to be honest. And one of the themes of the AFCON has often been that North African nations, whose club teams dominate uh, at club level on the continent, they often struggle in AFCONs played uh, in sub-Saharan Africa. So let's see if that changes this time. But certainly Hakimi will have a big role to play. And uh, the question beyond that is what impact will his absence have on Paris Saint-Germain because he's been so important for them this season? That link-up with Dembele down the right-hand side is almost taking the focus away from Kylian Mbappe, either on the left or through the middle of the PSG attack. So how will they cope without him? Of course, there are four rounds of Ligue 1 games uh, to take place during the tournament. If Morocco go all the way, he'll miss four games and will only just come back in time for the Champions League. Last 16, first leg against uh, Real Sociedad in mid-February. So big questions for PSG. PSG fans will be watching... Hakimi and Morocco's progress very closely. Uh, but Morocco have plenty of fine players at leading European clubs. They'll need Hakimi to be at his best. And I think another one that's worth mentioning is Azzedine Ounahi, who was a revelation of the World Cup in Qatar. He's struggled to follow that up since uh, moving to Marseille, Manger, midway through last season. He's been in and out with the Marseille team in this campaign, and he'll be hoping that a major international tournament once again brings out the best in him. So that's two players focus on Hakimi. But by my reckoning, 17 of the 24 competing nations will have at least one league 1 player in their ranks. There are going to be plenty others to watch. Uh, if Ghana are to do anything, which is not really expected, then the likes of Salis Abdul-Samed at loss. And of course, Andre Ayu, now that L'Av, should have a role to play. There is Lamin Kamara, one of the latest in the long line of Senegalese players at Mess, and is one to follow as well. He's just been named the African Young Player of the Year. And there is the non-striker Mustafa Mohamed, who could have a very important role to play as a foil for Mohamed Salah, with Egypt the record seven-time AFCON winners who are aiming for their first title since 2010.
1: All right. Thank you for that, Andy Scott. Batiste, 58 league players, depending on who makes the final cuts and who who drops out between now and then, because we all thought Terram Moffey was heading with the Super Eagles. He's been left out of Nigeria's squad in the end. Baptiste, the Africa Cup of Nations, we know that it's been through periods where it's been controversial because there are so many players that play in Ligue 1 that all head back for the Africa Cup of Nations. But um, it is a fantastic spectacle. It's a fantastic tournament. What are you expecting from the next month or so in
2: the Cote d'Ivoire? Hopefully, fireworks. I mean, the Africa Cup of Nations is always great fun to watch. Sometimes dodgy pitches, but certainly a lot of endeavor, a lot of talent players playing quite freely. I'm looking forward to seeing the Liga players on on their biggest stage. Um, you know, I think Nigeria are quite an interesting proposition. Huge amount of attacking talent but uh, very little defensive solidity, so they should be fun to watch and if they can leave moffy back in France, then they've got a hell of a talent up front. And then for me two other countries, Morocco to me seem like one of the best organized team on the continent. Obviously Hakimi, Unahi always seems to deliver. Uh, for his country maybe more so than for his club amrabat but they've got wonderful players and maybe as a dark horse algeria they've got a proud history at this tournament they're a proud country i would say um known for their sublimely skillful players and so they'll have a lot of ambition a lot of popular backing and so i'm looking forward to see them play so it's it should be an exciting tournament as always and uh and some of the football on show is always really, really vibrant and a bit, maybe a bit looser than other international competitions, if I can put it that way. But certainly, you're going to see flashes of talent, um, maybe more so than in more closed games.
1: Well, it would be remiss of me not to mention that the Asian Cup is also taking part with uh, my very own Socceroos, who will be there. There are a few Asian players in league as well who will be missing in action over the next month, taking part in that tournament. But interestingly... Marseille, who are a club with a strong uh, African tradition and strong links to Africa, they are the most represented side at the AFCON from Ligue 1. They have seven players who will be taking part. Montpellier have six. Monaco with five as well. Mess are another club that we generally uh, associate with their academies in Senegal and, and strong links. They have four players there as well. And Reims, well, they have... Asian and African obligations. There's no doubt that the Africa Cup of Nations and this year perhaps the the Asian Cup as well can play a role in in what what will be the outcome for this season as well because Monaco are missing a lot of players. They're in the hunt for those Champions League spots. Nice, they're without... A couple of players, but Jeremy Boga is a big one who's missing for them. Budawi with Algeria as well. Atal has been on the outer anyway for the moment for them. And Terra Moffi stays behind, so perhaps that could work in Nice's favour as well. Paris Saint-Germain are without Hakimi, obviously, with Morocco. And Lee Kang-In, who will be at the Asian Cup with South Korea. Okay, well, we're just about done now. Time to wrap up. We have the Coupe de France is coming up again in the next couple of weeks. We'll be back to have a a look back at that as well as round 18 of the Ligue 1 season. There is one huge clash coming up with Lens at home to Paris Saint-Germain. They have caused them plenty of problems in recent seasons. There are big games everywhere you look. Rennes against Nice as well. Monaco against Reims. Olympique de Marseille are at home to Strasbourg. And high flying Brest take on Montpellier. They're definitely two sides that have impressed, two sides with piratey type uh, ethos, I think you'd say. I mean, I know Brest are the pirates. I think Montpellier play like pirates. Their club certainly reminds me of a, of a pirate type club. So I'll, I'll stick with that one. Mess take on Toulouse, Nantes Clermont, Andy. You won't be here to watch that, but watching from afar, what catches your eye? Well,
0: obviously, Lance psg catches my eye. Um, great game last year on New Year's Day, which Lens won. Lens pushed PSG until the final day last season. They have recovered from a bad start this season. They were, I think, 11 league games unbeaten before losing in Nice in the last match before the winter break. They need points because they're chasing and looking to climb the table. PSG will know this is a really hard place to go to. They still have to improve a lot under Luis Enrique. And just in general, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic atmosphere at the Stade Boulart, you know, Sunday night under the lights. And that will be one of the games to watch in, in the whole of Europe this coming weekend. So, and
1: that, that's going to be a cracker. I'll certainly try to catch it from, from my base in Abidjan. Baptiste, what, what takes your fancy in this round 18 as Ligue 1 returns to our screens
2: in our stadia? Two games that I'd link. So Metz-Toulouse and nantes Clermont. Uh, I mean, you're talking about four teams sliding down the table, and looking over their shoulders, and being quite fearful, and always a win away from a crisis, especially in Nantes' case. So I think it'll be interesting to see where they're at in their first game back in Liga, and whether they can start the the year in in style. But I think they're they're going to be quite tense and on difficult pitches, so they'll be they'll be quite interesting niche ones to watch.
1: Fantastic. I think uh, Rennes-Nice will be an interesting battle as well. Julien Stephon looking to make his mark at that Rennes side against Nice, who were looking to be hitting the ground running as well. Um, a few changes may be coming tactically for Nice in the coming weeks as well. I've heard from Farioli, um, who's trying to just keep things uh, lively, not uh, not become too predictable. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on them. They're a very tactically astute side. And let's not forget, Andy, that it was that Lens Paris Saint Germain match where Conquers took to the microphone after the game and, and sang the On Lisa Chicote song, which uh, turned against them somewhat in terms of their results on the pitch following that. They went through a very difficult run. So I'm sure if Lens do manage to get up over Paris Saint Germain and inflict just that second defeat of the season, I'm not sure we'll see Conquers getting down in front of the Ultras and singing along with them. Well, we're just about done. We'll be back in two weeks' time to take a look at round 18 and the Coupe de France round of 32 action before poking our noses over the fence to look ahead to rounds 19 and 20 as the second half of the season gets right underway. We'll also be uh, having a look at the transfer window as well as catching in on what's happening at the Côte d'Ivoire in the Africa Cup of Nations. There'll be another chance for you to win the Ludovic Blas Ren jersey in our occult. Quiz, Deja Who, and of course, our customary dissection of all the talking points from the world of French football. Until then, on behalf of the entire Le Bourgeois team, bon match et bonne continuation.